诗篇三十二章三到四节：我闭口不认罪的时候，因终日哀哼而骨头枯干；黑夜白日，你的手在我身上沉重，我的精意耗尽，如同夏天的干旱。Psalm 32, verses 3 to 4. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. This is the word of the Lord for us. Well, good morning. My name is Mark Lang, and I'm the husband of Kathy. And the father of Anna, which she's running off quickly.、Uh, I'm also a counselor at Agape Counseling and Training Center.、Um, you notice this morning the scripture reading was kind of uh, uh, wasn't just this wonderful lifting kind of oh praise the Lord.、Uh, it just really kind of gets in our face a little bit.、Um, but that's what I wanted to start off with is a focus on our sin. To acknowledge the battle that we have with our sinful nature,、uh, you and I, we're a mess.、Uh, before I accepted Christ as my Savior, I I worked to be a good guy. I worked to to do what I thought He wanted me to do and who He wanted me to be. And as hard as I tried, and the harder I tried, it seems like the more I failed. I failed miserably, and it got to a point where I just quit. It was just like God can't do this anymore. If you want this life, you can have it. And you know what? He kind of surprised me. He did. He wanted that. Before I accepted、um, Christ as a savior, you know, I thought that the battle was about doing more good than the bad. I thought that after I accepted Christ, that that would change, that I would not have this battle, that sinful nature would go away. I mean, I memorized Second Corinthians five seventeen.、Uh, it says, "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away." I.e., my sinful nature. I kind of put that in there. Behold, the new has come. This freedom from sin's destruction. Again, I added that part in there, but the mem- I memorized that verse because I was so excited. I was so done with sin, and yeah, well, that wasn't、uh, to be the case. And soon I discovered this: that you know what, I was still a mess. I spent years trying to obtain the formula of how to to have victory, and I have gone to church. I've memorized scripture. I've Engaged in fellowship, I've done lots of things to try and to do this, only to find that I keep failing over and over again. The best that I can say to you about my results is that I have、uh, a pretty good mienza.、Okay? I, I, on the outside, I can look pretty good,、uh, but on the inside, I'm still that that mess. So, with that happy note, how about if we go ahead and start with prayer? <laughs> Dear Father, we just want to invite you into this place that 
you would speak to our hearts and our minds. Uh, we come before you uh, as, as a mess. Your word says, um, for all of us have fallen short of your glory. Father, I'd ask that you would, uh, that I would be able to get out of your way, that you would be able to speak to us and draw us close to you. I pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, Psalm 32 is what's called a mascal uh, psalm. Uh, it's one of David's. Out of 150 psalms, there's 13 mascal uh, psalms. Though there's some who believe that this word means to indicate a teaching psalm, and then within it, there's another word, uh, salah, uh, which they believe means uh, pausing or pondering. Uh, the real meaning, we, just, we really don't know. Um, but I kind of like that. I like the idea of pausing and pondering. So today, I'm going to leave you with a lot of questions, and I hope that there's a few questions that, that God will use to just really speak to you, to draw you from wherever you're at uh, closer to him. Psalms are songs, and in that, we kind of do songs together. So what I'd like to do, even though I'm an introvert, I'm going to challenge you to get out of your introvert, introvert box and uh, join me as we read uh, verses 1 and 2 here. So if we have that. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. Salah. <laughs> okay, the blessing. What is this blessing that David is talking about? You know, we use that word a lot. Uh, one of the times in my life where it really meant something important was uh, I had had a few decades ago symptoms of cancer. I had this, some of the telltale signs of, of cancer, and yet when I met with the doctor, he, he blessed me by his words. He said, you don't have cancer. There was a blessing, right? His authority in medicine the, the empowered his words that resulted in me feeling peace, uh, joy, and like a freedom, like, oh, I can let go of that, that concern, that worry. Well, the blessing that the doctor gave to me was temporary. Someday, there's going to come a time when I do die. Uh, but the blessing David is talking about here is one of eternal value, not temporary. As I said earlier, you and I are a mess. You know, we sin. We sin in a variety of ways, and we repeatedly uh, sin. That's what we do. But what if? What if we faced God, the Father of heaven and earth, and he told us in our accounting of our whole life there was not a single conviction of sin to be found. Wouldn't that be great? Imagine yourself before your judge, God the Father, and he goes, there is no sin. There is nothing on you. I mean, emotionally, that's something to be excited about, to feel peace, to feel joy, to feel a sense of freedom. 
How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. In the New American Standard, there's an exclamation point at the end of each of these verses. David wasn't questioning. He wasn't like, oh, could this be possible? He wasn't hoping that it could happen. He was using confident words. This was a possibility, and he was living in that possibility. He was, it was occurring in him. We're able to have a spirit with no deceit. Our sin can be covered, and we can be iniquity-free. The blessing definitely impacts our emotions to give us that peace, that, that joy. And David seems to be just like reveling in it. If he's, he's writing this psalm, and he's not writing it really to you or to me. He's just, this is what's pouring out of him. And he's just, God's working through him to give us that message. But there's this, wow, what a blessing this is to be free. The blessing's not only to be experienced through our emotion. In fact, that's probably the least of the intended impacts that God wants us to have through this, through this blessing. It also impacts our thinking. This blessing that he has for us, it diminishes the lies that we believe and it intensifies the truth. The belief that God would forgive us of our sin brings us out of hiding from where the lies we've believed in the past have taken us. The blessing impacts our behavior. When God removes the judgment of what we rightly deserve, we're free to act boldly with our life. We're free to face the world without fear. And we're free to speak truth and love. David's basing his whole focus, he's putting his whole focus on the Father. From his viewpoint, if God is against you, what does it matter that everybody would be for you? What does it matter what others think of you? Salah. Here's some questions I'd encourage that you you examine, you, you ponder. How can I experience the depth of blessing that David is experiencing? How do I throw off the numbness I have toward my sinful state so I can hunger for and desire the blessing God has for me? And how can I better sense when I've left or even returned to that blessing? The hiding place. Uh, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the the heat of summer. I want to take you back a few months when we were going through the book of Galatians. We saw that our flesh is really happy when we're in sin. (laughs) It enjoys that. At least until the point when guilt begins to come into us. Um, Quickly then, uh, we have a tendency to then hide from God. Uh, 
He pressed, this, I think this is what David is talking about here. When God presses in with the truth into our spirit, we begin to feel empty. We begin to feel dissatisfied. Remember that sense? When your flesh is excited about the sin, it's, it's enjoying the sin. And then this weight comes in, this sense of ah, what emptiness this was. Yeah. I believe that's God's hand pressing in on us, pressing in on our spirit. From the very beginning of mankind, hiding from God can be seen. We look at uh, Genesis 3.8 and says, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Uh, so quickly they reacted to their sin by hiding from God and from each other. They felt guilty. They felt ashamed. I think feeling guilty is what David's talking about when he shares about God's hand being heavy upon us. Um, however, even with that hand on us, pressing on us, we can experience guilt on the run. Right? So we're experiencing the guilt, but we're on the run. Have you experienced that? We're hiding from God so that we can continue the sin. And we kind of just like put him back here so we don't have to see him. We push him away so that we can continue with that sin. I think we can experience this guilt uh, as a permanent stain. Sometimes things happen to us and it's like, it seems permanent. It seems like we can't change it. It's just there. And so we end up like closing that room off locking the door, not letting anybody in, and just having that kind of be a dead room. I think we can experience guilt as a form of penance for our sin. We allow that guilt to continue until I feel like I'm good enough, like I'm worthy enough. Have you experienced that? It's like, oh, I messed up. I feel guilty. And so I try, and I work harder, and I get to a point where, I, oh, I'm doing pretty good now. And it's like, okay, now I can let go of that guilt. Um, yeah, I think these are some of the ways that we continue down that path without really getting the change, getting, letting God come into that place and, and, and bless us. Salah. How do I hide from God? How do I avoid his presence? Where do I go? Where do I go to escape him? The surrender, part one, and the response. Uh, please join me in the next couple of verses here. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. It's a lie. So my question from this was, okay, what's confession about? What's the purpose or the point of it? And so as I was pondering this, there's three things that, that stand out to me. Not that this is all of them, but here's what stands out to me. For me, I believe my confession is my surrender to the pain of my guilt. There comes a time when that weight, that guilt, is just it's like, okay, I'm, tr I'm done. I need to be done with this. I need to leave it. And, and so confession is that surrender 
and being able to let go of that, let go of that pain. I think it's our surrender to the realization that sin has led us to a place of emptiness. And I don't think that we, we go in sin thinking, oh, this is the answer to, to everything. Um, this, is, this is what I want to do. And it, we, might, we might begin there, but then it comes in and it's like, it's so empty. What we thought might have been an answer ends up being a dead end at the, at the very best. And I think our confession is a surrender to the desire to be free. Remember those experiences when you've been experiencing this guilt and you, you come before him and you, and you confess that sin and, and you're just like taking that off. It's like letting that go. There's a freedom from that, uh, a fresh start kind of thing. Confession is the decision and action of leaving our hiding place in sin so that God can engage us on the issue of what we've been doing wrong and bring us the, the blessing of his forgiveness. Engage with him. What is that like? I mean, I read in the Old Testament, and, and when they engaged through confession, it was like they would rip their clothes, right? And then they would throw ashes on themselves, and it would be like they would just like, okay, here I am. <laughs> I confess to you how worthless you know, I am, what, what my sin has, has done. Here it is. Um, I don't see that happening much. I don't see people going, oh, Lord, <laughs> dump the ashes. Um, you can go to another kind of extreme where it's, it's more, confession's more like a, oops, sorry, and then we move on. Have you had those moments where it's like, oh, yeah, I messed up. Sorry, God, and then you just kind of move on. And sometimes that, that maybe that's all that's necessary, that's needed for you. Um, it's, it's a quick get back on track kind of thing. But I think there's times when we need to go deeper in our, in our confession, deeper in our, in our revealing of what's going on and, and engaging with God in that. Instead of a shallow surrender, I think uh, there's a need for a deep surrender. With repeated sins, I think that's one of those areas. You know, when we've gotten into a pattern a habit where we don't even consciously even think about it. It's subconsciously operating within us. It just goes and goes and goes. That's one we really definitely, I think, need to take offline and go deeper with God in our confession and, and let him into that place and let him kind of sit there and, and teach us, show us, empower us. I think another place to go deep is, is with those sins that have greater impact. Now, I think from God's viewpoint that all sin is, in a sense, equal. There's not like, well, that's an okay sin. <laughs> you know, he hates all sin, but there are sins that have greater ramifications. Uh, we look at David, uh, the, the psalm writer here, and, you know, he killed Bathsheba's husband, and it wasn't a, a momentary lapse. It was premeditated. It was this long, drawn-out process of, I'm going to sin, I'm going to get what I want. And I think in those cases, it's important that when we come into a place of confession, when we come into the God's presence, we need to let him go deeper into that so he can show us what's going on with this sin. What's it costing you? 
What's it costing others and how is it impacting our relationship with God? The response, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And one of the things that I've come to realize is that God's forgiveness is immediate. Doesn't matter what your sin is, doesn't matter what my sin is, his forgiveness is at the moment of my confession. He doesn't have to ponder or evaluate. He's like, okay, Mark, that was a pretty big one. Did Christ sacrifice equal? You know, he doesn't do that. He's like, yes, Christ. He doesn't even ponder. Christ's sacrifice is greater than our sin. Every sin, no matter what the sin, his sacrifice measures up to it. Jesus Christ is worthy. And so the forgiveness isn't hesitated. It's immediate. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that forgiveness part is immediate. But cleansing is a process. Once we engage with him in that confession, it's like we're opening the door for him to come in and to begin that process of cleansing us from the habits, from the behaviors, from the lies, from the things that are moving us in that direction to engage with that sin. Going deeper in our confession gives God the opportunity to go deeper in his cleansing. Salah. What is holding me back from entering his presence with this sin? Will I put my trust in his forgiveness? Am I ready to be free? The surrender, part two. Okay, so I've confessed my sin, but what's going on here? I'm not really experiencing that blessing. Have you had that experience where you've, you've gone, you've confessed the sin, but then there's still this, this sense of heaviness, this weight of guilt. You f- still feel that emotion, guilt. I've had that experience, and I've wondered, you know, what's keeping me from immediately receiving the blessing? What's the barrier? And for me, I've been able to identify three barriers that keep me from receiving that blessing that God wants to give. I can wall it off with my need to be worthy of it. You know, to be worthy of that blessing. I've had that, that sense, that, that belief that oh, I'm, not, I'm not good enough, God. I don't deserve this. And so I try and work myself into a place where it's like, okay, I'm good enough. Now I can receive it. Thank you. <laughs> it's like, but that's kind of crazy thinking, right? Because there's nothing that I can do that's going to make me worthy. I can feel maybe better, but it's, it's not true. It's not real. But that's one of the walls that ends up keeping that blessing from me, thinking I need to to be worthy of it. A second wall is uh, believing that guilt will keep me from sinning again. I got to hang on to this guilt because it reminds me not to go mess up again. And if I let go of this, I'm going to go, I'll just go and sin some more. It's like, that's not, that's not good. What, if you can imagine that, just hearing the words, it's like my faith, my trust, my God, 
ends up being guilt. What a miserable God to have. That guilt is not powerful enough. I've proved that many times. Hanging onto that guilt doesn't keep me from that sin. A third wall is the feeling of hopelessness. And I've had it times in my life where I just, it's like, okay, I quit. I can never, I can never get this. I can never stop. And so it's just like I get to a sense of helplessness, hopelessness. And even though God has forgiven me, it's like I can't receive it. I quit. It's just like it's just going to happen again. So these are walls that, at least for me, can block that blessing that God desires to give to me. My sin is never, nor will it ever, overwhelm Christ's sacrifice. Are we receiving the blessing? Or are we hanging on to the guilt after the forgiveness? Next part, the flood of great waters and a new hiding place. Uh, So please read with me the next couple of verses. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Salah. When the storms of life happen, what happens is our emotions increase, our thinking gets confused, and it's really, really difficult to see truth. Those great waters, a a couple of examples might be the sin, the power of the sin that's over us. The patterns, the habits that we've developed, they've become so ingrained, so intense, that it just keeps us from seeking him out. The great waters might be your peers, your culture, your family. We're immersed in the sinful natures of everyone around us. It influences us sometimes to minimize our sin, to rationalize it or justify it, or to see it as less than what's happening around us. And so we're kind of okay. We're not like them. So. And that can keep us from going to him seeking him out. This next section here, the hiding place, is, is kind of transform, transformational for me. What is meant by you are my hiding place? You know, for guys, you know, to hide, it's almost like, well, chicken. <laughs> What's going on with you, chicken? Are you hiding? It's like, so there's a struggle. I've always said, I like that song. What is it? Onward, Christian soldiers marching. It's like, yes, that's a man's song there. You know, and I'm empowered and we can go. Let's go fight the war. Oh, like, yes, I can do something. David doesn't teach that here. He doesn't teach that we have strength. Uh, John 15, 5, the last part there says, apart from me, you can do Nothing. I've got nothing to take to the battle. Uh, It's only what God does in and then through me. So I started thinking about that hiding. You know we're all good hiders. 
Every single one of us. We learned that as a kid. Some of us played that game, hide and seek. We're all good at hiding. We have different methods, different ways of doing that. We were able to put that mienza on, develop that. But inside, inside we're still a mess. Instead of using those hiding skills for our flesh, for our sinful nature, what if we use those hiding skills to hide in God? And that set my brain off to like brainstorming, okay, how do we hide in God? How can we hide in him? So I looked at, at Jesus in uh, Matthew 1 through 10. Here's how Jesus hid through scripture. When Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry, and the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered it and said, It is written, Man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The devil then took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and behold, the angels came and began to minister to him. Jesus didn't just memorize scripture. He incorporated the truth in practical ways in his life. So that when life hit him, he was ready. The word poured from him in ways that empowered him to choose well, to choose the Father, to choose against the sin. Jesus also hid in prayer. We see him in the garden. He was totally hiding in the Father. He's like, he's got to be immersed in the Father's strength before, because he has nothing left in him. And he's pouring out, and the Father empowers him. Go back and read the, the, the scriptures just before the garden and just after the garden, and look at the emotional process that he goes through. Before, you see him doing things that are just like, he's feeling it, you know? There's pressure. He's feeling that emotion, the anguish that he's about to have to face. Then in the garden, he pours that out. And afterwards, who is this guy? He is solid. He walks steady through everything he didn't really want to go through. He has the Father in filling, filling him up. God, Jesus hid in God through prayer, and he hid through God in fellowship. Questions. When have I hidden in God? What was that like? What did it feel like? Can you remember when you've had that place where you've hidden in him? <sighs> such a peace. There's such a joy in that place and hiding in him. Last section here. 
his loving kindness. Uh, and the next slide there, the verses, would you read with me? Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Maybe there's been a, a great water of separation between you and the Father. Or maybe there's an area that you've kind of been holding off to the side. If you're hiding in your sin, you're just one step away from his blessing. From him surrounding you with his loving kindness. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Dear Father, we are all a mess. I pray that you would um, help us to live in your truth, that you are eager, you are desiring to forgive and cleanse us and to empower us for us to experience your blessing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the sacrifice that you made. Thank you that no matter what we have done, your sacrifice is greater and it covers. I pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.